Welcome to the Walkworthy Podcast, a podcast by Hespler Baptist Church located in Cambridge, Ontario. Our local church exists to make disciples who walk worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God the Father. We hope and pray this is an encouragement to you and to anyone else you share this with. Hey church family, this is Pastor Caleb and Pastor Sean here with a new episode of uh, the Walkworthy podcast. Hey everyone. We are here to discuss our sermon series in Genesis. Over the past uh, few weeks, we've had just kind of one-off sermons. We had a sermon in Philippians chapter 1, which is where we derive our mission statement And then Pastor Tom preached from the Gospel of Luke on what it really means to love our neighbor. Right on. And then last week, we were so blessed to hear from Pastor James Seward from Maple Avenue Baptist Church in Georgetown from Romans 8. Well, this Sunday, we're back in Genesis, and we're back into our series called Creation and Covenant Blessings. And my first question for you, Sean, you do most of the preaching here, and you come up with these series titles. Why have we named this series creation and covenant blessings great question naming sermon series is hard but fun and sometimes you get it right and after you're done preaching the book you think yeah that was the right title for that series sometimes you get to the end and you realize yeah i had way more work to do before (laughs) and that's not the right title so far so good on this one i think (laughs) yep um the reason it's called creation and covenant blessings is First of all, obviously, it deals with the creation of the universe in the opening chapters of Genesis. And God blesses what he makes. And so there's this theme of creation and God blessing what he makes, including humanity. God blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply. So blessing is a, is a significant theme in the, uh, the book of Genesis, beginning with the blessing of creation, which we still enjoy to this day, even though it's groaning, as, as James preached this past Sunday. But uh, the theme of blessing and covenant continues beyond the opening creation account when we get to the, well, there's a Noahic covenant, and there's God blesses there, there's blessing there. Then there's an Abrahamic covenant, and God says that he will be a blessing, and those who bless him will be blessed, and those who curse him will be blessed. So this theme of blessing is seen in creation. Then we have these, uh, there's a covenant with creation, covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, which is then extended to Isaac, which is then extended to Jacob, which brings us all the way to the end of Genesis. And so this theme of blessing is one that is carried all the way throughout and is ultimately fulfilled in Christ in whom we are blessed. And so I just wanted everyone to remember blessing, creation, covenant as we go through Genesis. These are themes we're going to see from Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 50. Absolutely, yeah. And we are in Genesis 25 this week, which is... A good spot to jump back into because it's the end of Abraham's life. So there's going to have to be some summary, which is good because we haven't been in the book for several weeks now. And uh, the theme of blessing is picked up. And actually, Isaac is blessed by God in a way that hasn't been spoken about since creation. So you see these ties across even the the creation section, the first 11 chapters to the Abrahamic section, now into almost a new section with Isaac and Jacob and Esau. And so it's all connected. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to summarize the book of Genesis for us. But before we do that, 
let me ask a question about the genre of Genesis. It it, it really is. It's narrative by yep. and large. Yeah, by and large. And we've been in this narrative for about a year now. We started last January. And so we're picking up again this January and we're now into our second year of preaching narrative. A couple of questions. Do you like preaching narrative? Yep. And how how difficult is it to apply narrative? Like you get to one of Paul's epistles and he says sure. like, love one another or, yeah. okay. you know, sure. like here's what justification is. Yep. And, you know, you can pull your application seemingly easily from those direct statements. Sure. But how hard is narrative to apply? Do you sure. like it? And how hard is it to apply? Uh, I, I love preaching narrative, um, but... Every part of every different type of literature that you have in scripture it has its own unique challenges. So even with Paul's direct statements, what are you going to say about it? It's as obvious as the nose on your face. Love one another. Sure. Okay. Then you have to work hard to just keep someone's interest to listen and, and, uh, and you go from there. Narrative uh, is different because you have that extra layer. Hmm. And so it has its challenges. And I think with narrative, you can go off in a wrong direction far more easily than you can when you have a very explicit command, depending on where that command is. But uh, so narrative is, is, is a greater challenge in that way. I enjoy the challenge. Um, I like the I like preaching when there's characters, story, movement, dialogue, change of scenes. There's events, there's tension. That's a lot of fun to preach. So I really enjoy that. But as far as getting as far as getting to the applicational side of things, I mean, we were both taught in college and seminary, uh, just as far as the an image goes, that what we're reading in Genesis happened thousands of years ago. Different culture, different language, uh, different uh, things that they did and didn't do. And so you have to figure out, okay, what happened? And what is consistent or what principles are taught about God and his dealings with his people, what remain the same? And so you kind of have to bring our world and that world together with these theological principles that are applicable in both settings. And then from there, you begin to draw application for our specific environment. So you have to do quite a bit of work. Um, and anyone can do that. Uh, and, but uh, you have to make sure that you're finding what are the, the specific sort of theological principles uh, that are still continuing to this day. And then how does that, what effect does that have uh, have on our lives? So, One of the dangers would be allegorizing the text. That's one of the dangers with narrative. What does sure. it mean to allegorize the text? Sure, yeah. To uh, I, I, the, <laughs> the example that pops into my mind is maybe one that we had in one of our classes. It's not from Genesis. But it's when uh, Elijah is fed by the ravens. Hmm. And you could preach that passage and you could say something like, just like he was fed by the ravens, you know, we need to be fed by the word of God. That's a good thing to say. Right. And that's a truth that we believe in, but it's not in that text. That's not the meaning that we're to derive from that. Uh, there's something else going on there and we have to work hard to figure out what that is so awesome 
Well, where where have we been in the book of Genesis? We're starting up again in 24, 25 this Genesis Sunday? 25 this Sunday. And so what have the previous 24 chapters? Give us a synopsis of what's gone on. Sure, yeah. So whenever I think about the book of Genesis, I do think about the first 11 chapters, and then I think about chapters 12 to 50. Hmm. Uh, the first 11 chapters are uh, thought to be sort of this sort of macro view of the beginning of the universe, history, creation, and so Genesis 1 you've, uh, you've, and, and 2, you've got creation. 3, you've got the fall. And then you begin to see the deterioration as a result of that, which brings us all the way through Noah and the flood, Tara Babel. You've got some table of nations genealogies in there. And uh, we begin to see how God is going to work through the human race to fulfill the promises of the promise of Genesis 3.15, which is that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And then in chapter 12, that narrows down to one individual and one family. Same story. There's no beat missed. There's not a different beat in the text. Uh, we just go from like big picture all the way down zeroing into Abram, which he's called at that time. And then from there, we begin to see, okay, what happens with this line uh, that really comes from Seth, the godly line of Seth? And what is God going to do through this line to bring about that promise that he made in the garden uh, in Genesis 3? And so um, to this point in our series, we've covered those sort of first 11 chapters. We're almost done with the end of Abraham's life. And so he's established the covenants with Abraham. Uh, we've had Abraham and Isaac on the mountain. And uh, now Abraham's life is wrapping up. And the story is continuing now with Isaac, which is really more about Jacob and Esau, who is our descendants of Abraham. And one key theme that ties all of that together is these are the generations of. So that's a phrase that we see repeatedly in Genesis. It begins with these are the generations of the heavens and the earth earlier in Genesis. And then we get these are the generations of, and then there's different family lines. And we're about to wrap up Abraham and the next uh, next uh, two Sundays uh, from from now, we will, these are the generations of Isaac. So that's a marker of a new point in the story that's moving this idea along of how will God work through this line to bring about the promises that he's made. What has challenged you in this first half of the book as you've combed through verse upon verse upon verse? What's really stuck out to you, challenging you spiritually, but also challenging you maybe, let's say, theologically? Sure. I'll start theologically. I've had to really dig deep in understanding how the covenants fit together um, and what they mean now. So there's a covenant with creation, with Noah, with Abraham. And then in the book of Exodus is a covenant with Israel, sometimes called called the Mosaic Covenant, and we're under a new covenant in Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I've been really helped by uh, Peter Gentry and Stephen Wilden's book, Kingdom Through Covenant, which they, in their writing, show that God establishes his kingdom through covenant making, covenant relationships with his creatures. And uh, it's just been very interesting and stretching to figure out how to navigate all of that, especially when you deal with uh, language where uh, Abraham obeys and God blesses him for his obedience. Okay, how does that compute right. when we talk about 
we're saved by faith alone through uh, by by faith alone through grace alone in Christ alone. How does that how does that compute? How does that all fit together? And so that's been a that's been a real stretch at points to try and navigate that whole terrain. What about personally, as you've kind of come through the material, that's personally? really challenged you to, um, with respect to your own faith and walk with the Lord. I think that there's been some wrestling with the relationship between the faith of these characters with their failings. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been comforting on the one side because that's me. Yeah. And uh, not that I'm Abraham, but I just mean that my, uh, my, my life is like his in the sense of there's moments of success and there's moments of failure. But it, there is that wrestling with, okay, the Bible sets these individuals to us as those to follow, but as we've gone through, and you've preached some of these passages as well, you got the high point, you get the low point. You get another high point, you get another low point. You get another high point, you get another low point. And these are not perfect individuals. Uh, which really, in the end, drives us to Christ, who is the one that all of these are pointing forward to. But that that takes some that takes some wrestling. I would have said the exact same thing. Oh, interesting. And okay. you know, as we go, I'm thinking about the last 25 chapters of the Book of Genesis, yeah. and not much is going to change that way. No, not at all. Who are not the main figures in the last half of the book? Sure. So we're going to we're, we're, we've already run into Isaac, but he will feature a little bit more. And then uh, his twins. Uh, twins are weird. Yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> <You're Yeah. laughs> Caleb's a twin, if you didn't know that. Uh, so you've got, you've got Esau and you've got Jacob. And then you have uh, the sons of Jacob. And then you have Joseph features in a big way. But I really like what our Old Testament professor says, an Hebrew professor. Joseph is not the main character. Hmm. So if you were, if, if Genesis was a movie and Oscars were being handed out, the main actor award would not go to Joseph. He, the best supporting actor award would go to Joseph, but the main, the main figure is actually Judah, which is very surprising Okay. because of what he does with Tamar in Genesis 38, I believe it is. But at the end of Genesis, in Genesis 50, 50 chapters, yep. uh, the, the scepter will not depart from who? From Judah. Hmm which is hearkening all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. But Joseph's role, which is prominent, is serving the purpose of preserving the line through which God will bless the nations as he promised to Abraham because Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Hmm. I think that's important to keep in mind even as we encounter these different figures that, yes, we'll spend a lot of time with Joseph's journey, but Joseph's journey is serving a larger purpose, and it's that of uh, of God continuing His providence to work things out. Did anything surprise you in the in the year twenty twenty one as you looked through the book of Genesis? Totally, I and I think that we've experienced this congregationally, and I'm curious as to what you will say about this too. I want to ask the same question back. I will, I've been amazed at how much of Genesis is in the rest of the Bible. It's a lot. No kidding. Way more yeah. than I ever realized. Mm-hmm. And how much of Christ you can see in Genesis. Yeah. The, I think I've said this before that the be- we have the best commentary on Genesis. It's Exodus to Revelation. Yeah. And there's so much. 
that is utterly foundational to our faith, that is found in the opening chapters of Genesis, so long as you do good biblical theology, yes, and you show the connections that exist throughout the rest of Scripture, and how easy it is then to actually get to Christ in Genesis when we're preaching. So I actually think there's been a lot of gospel in Genesis, and I think there should be. Your thoughts on that? I've been told that the best, or I heard uh, William Taylor say that the best modules for discipleship are the four gospels. Yep. And I agree with him. Sure. And obviously we could all make arguments about other books, right? <laughs> sure. Like you, you could say, well, Romans has got it all and stuff <laughs> totally. like that. And, and, and he's just, he's being very general. Yep. Um, I, I think you have to add Genesis to that. Yeah, I think so. Because if you want to understand the entire Bible and even the significance of the gospel, sure. you need that Genesis background. Yes. And uh, like you said, most of the doctrines, all of, uh, we could probably say all of the doctrines yeah. that we, maybe not eschatology. Is there eschatology? Oh, there is eschatology. Well, there Genesis. is because, Ab uh, because of Abraham's hope, right? Yes. He didn't receive the promises. That's right. He died. All of them did. Yeah. They didn't receive the promises in Genesis. And Hebrews tells us that neither have we, and we will be perfected with them together, which is the promise of the new heavens and the earth. So that you bet, you bet there's eschatology. And you can start to get into land promises sure. and how Genesis frames how those will be fulfilled. Sure, and Yeah, for sure. So every doctrine you can see yes. in the book of Genesis, yes. I think it is an essential discipleship manual for the church. I agree. Uh, and that's something I've really taken away, especially as it pertains to Adam. Uh, I've been doing a lot of reading on Adam for ordination lately, mm -hmm. and I've realized just how crucial he is for setting up the second Adam. That's right. That's and right. so that's really surprised me. Not much is said about Adam in, in, in Genesis. If you think proportionally. Yeah, proportionally, it, no. Compared to Abraham, compared to Isaac, yep. you know, that's Esau, right. Jacob, Joseph. Sure, sure. Adam, not a lot said about him, but he is highly significant, That's especially right. as he points to the second Adam. And you get to Romans chapter 5, and you see that very clearly. What uh, sermon do you think you enjoyed preaching the most? Answering this without being, you know, self-congratulatory. No, yeah. um, <laughs> I, know, I know that's not what, you, what, you're, what you're asking. That's right. I really enjoyed preaching... The creation of humanity, so uh, the uh, humanity as the crown jewel of God's creation, and in connection with that, the end game, God's end game for humanity, and so just talking about this God resting on the seventh day and man in fellowship, humanity in, in relationship with God, and in the garden, and that that there's a lot of eschatology right there. Yeah, right. Because the theme of the garden and God walking in the garden in the wind of the day or the cool of the day and then genesis uh revelation 21 22 it's a garden city with a lot of edenic imagery and god is present and we're the tree of life reappears the the river of the water of life and there's rivers flowing out of eden and so these two sort of bookends of the bible with god in relationship with his people is so beautiful and so I think that maybe is rising as I'm talking about it, uh, that uh, Genesis 2, 1 to 3, or 1 to 4, I think it is, that's really uh, surfacing for me. It, that was an interesting piece for me as I listened to you preach through these messages. I was wondering, 
how is Sean going to preach chapter two differently from how he preached chapter one? Sure. Because a lot of people will just say, oh, there's two creation accounts. What happened here? And they'll treat that as a problem. Sure. It's not a problem. There are different emphases. That's right. That's right. And that was beautiful to see the way the sermons were radically different right. in, in many ways. Sure. Because yep. there are two different focuses. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, that's good. What uh, you said to me, the week you were preaching Genesis chapter 17, you said, man, is this ever a hard text to preach? And, 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 and one of the comments you made is, I could just do so much more reading on yeah. this particular text. It's true. Why would you say that is that was such a difficult text for you to prepare a sermon on? And why has so much ink been spilled on these verses? Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm not even going to be able to do it justice sure. already, uh, knowing that. But let me just, here's the language. When Abraham, this is Genesis 17, verse 1 and, and following. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. The that there is what gives a lot of uh, a lot of challenge on understanding uh, what's going on here. Um, so it seems to indicate that there's something in Abraham's obedience that is going on that, that is de- that's dependent upon God's making a covenant with him. Right. And so God is looking for a faithful son, hmm. and that was not Adam. And then we've got this new Adam, Noah. And it was not Noah. And then you've got Abraham, or Abram at this point still in Genesis 17. So walk before me and be be blameless that, so that I may make a covenant with you. Well, what if he's not blameless? Does that covenant fall apart? So is the covenant relationship dependent upon Abraham? Or is it dependent upon the Lord upholding the covenant? And in Genesis 15, we see that when the animals are cut... Abram doesn't pass through the middle of the animals, which in that time and place, if you were entering an agreement with someone, you would both do that so mm-hmm. that if I, other party broke covenant, what would, what happened to the animals is what would happen to them. Their, right. their life would be forfeit. But God doesn't pass through. Uh, Abram doesn't pass through the animals. The presence of God does. And God is saying, I will uphold both ends of the covenant. But then you get to Genesis 17, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant with you. And so, wait a second here, how does this all fit together? And uh, uh, again, with the help of kingdom through covenant, we see that Abraham, Abraham, Abraham is not that covenant partner. But because of what happens in Genesis 15, God is gracious and he provides a covenant partner, a faithful son hmm. who is obedient to him. And that person is Jesus Christ. And so uh, someone has said that when when God was uh, entering into a covenant relationship with Abraham in Genesis 15, and he passed through the animals on his own, at that moment, God pronounced a death sentence on, on Jesus because he would be the, the covenant partner. He would, he would pay for covenant breakers, Abraham being one, and you and I being covenant breakers, and yet Jesus is faithful to the covenant and is willing to take the place of the covenant breakers. So it just, it takes a while to figure out all of that, how to fit all of that together. And then, of course, we have our brothers and sisters 
in different theological traditions who look at these covenants and put them together differently and they draw comparisons between circumcision and baptism and right. so they baptize their infants just as uh, infant males were, were circumcised under the old covenant and uh, so there's points of disagreement there so you have to deal with all of that no kidding in like two two verses and following i just find that really difficult and because you made that comment i'm in a hebrew exegesis seminar class this semester good and i've got to write an in-depth paper on a passage in genesis sure. and i said you know what if Genesis 17 has all of these converging points, as you've just enumerated, sure. I should probably spend a paper on this chapter. Or not. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Depends how long, you, how much space you have to write. But no, seriously, it would be a good place to tackle. Yeah. Tackling the hardest places is usually a good thing to do in paper writing because it forces you to think well. So. Yes, exactly. Well, what, what should we look out for as we step into the second half of the book of Genesis? Yeah, another good question. Uh, more of the same, uh, which I hope isn't like a commercial for, here's why you shouldn't listen to the Tune next out. half of, uh, <laughs> of the book of Genesis. Uh, I, I, we look for God continuing to be faithful yeah. despite rascals like deceitful Jacob, right? And uh, despite the actions of uh, his sons and, you know, conspiring to kill Joseph and all of that whole relationship. Um, and so I think we look for God continuing to be faithful to the promises that he made to Abraham to uh, ensure that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky and that they would be a blessing to the nations. And that that's what is continuing on throughout the book. And that is that happens... By God's good and gracious providence, even when men do wicked things. Hmm. So the, the line in Joseph, of Joseph, what you intended for evil, yeah. God intended for good. So here's a, a the, like, the, he's thrown in a, the guy's thrown in a well and he's sold into slavery. What is God going to do with this? And then there's a famine in the land and Joseph just happens to be in Egypt and being successful because the Lord's hand was with him and he's ruler of all Egypt. And that is... Uh, not ruler, he's, you know, he's Pharaoh's right-hand man. Right. And then God uses that to spare the descendants of Abraham. And at the end, there's 12 tribes. Yeah. Come on, this is so rich. And I believe that that should be great encouragement to us uh, to really rest in the faithfulness of God, to bring about all of his promises, which are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So how would you then advise our congregation to listen to this next set of sermons how should someone prepare for sunday prepare sure. to hear from the word of god what what posture do we need what practices do we need to put in place sure yeah really practical question uh two parts of an answer one is logistical so what i mean by that is we know that we have to get up on a sunday morning get dressed get out the door get here on time, on time. We should get here on time, right? Yeah, probably yeah, should, should get, get here, here on time. time. <laughs> so we know we have to do that every week. And I, the, the, the best Sundays in our house are the Sundays when we are most prepared for that right. event. Yeah. And we've got four kids, so that's a lot of moving mm -hmm. pieces. The worst Sunday mornings in our house are, are when we are not prepared for right. that. So if we are, you know, kids... I want you to know what you're wearing tomorrow, tonight, 
and you know kids need to get washed they get washed if snacks need to go on a thing if toys need to go in a bag for the little ones if it was a just do all that on saturday night get a good sleep because we're coming to hear god's word and uh and then on sunday mornings when you wake up if there's less to do then you can prepare yourself which you can do by reading the passage that's being preached that's a really yeah. good practice and just being familiar with it because then you're able to listen more i think uh when you're when you're in the sermon um and then time in prayer asking the lord uh, to bless his people to use us as an encouragement to others because we're not just here for we're not here for ourselves right we're here to worship god and, and to love one another and um and yeah asking the lord to give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness for his word and, and uh, cultivating a heart of worship just preparing to, to to meet with the lord with his people uh anything you want to add to that yeah i think some people have very strong opinion on notes. Some people are like, you sure. got to take notes. Otherwise sure. you're not going to listen. Other people are like, don't take notes. Sure. Just listen. Sure. And I would say you got to do what's going to help you listen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So now let's if, not be legalistic about these things. right? It, and, exactly. You know, there are moments where a note taker needs to put their pen down and yep. just let the word of God right. work in their heart. That's right. And uh, that'll just happen naturally. Sure. Um, and then there are times where, Someone needs to pick up a pen yes. and jot some things down so that they remember and are accountable to the truth. Sure. So it, it's a both and. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Give me a both, yeah. right? I think making sure that we have access to a Bible when we're here, uh, whether that's on your phone or you're bringing an actual physical copy of your Bible with you, uh, make sure it's open. And uh, yeah, some people need to take notes, uh, make eye contact with those who are leading uh, scripture or leading musical worship or preaching and uh, sit in a spot that's most conducive to listening for you wherever that might be and uh, just realizing we're physical beings and these can be contributing factors to our spirituality because they help us just to be able to focus concentrate uh, for half asleep that's not going to be helpful uh, right exactly and so we've got five scripture journals and I'm do. willing to give away for free, by Great. the way, if someone comes up to me on a Sunday and asks for one. I will give you a scripture journal for free if you'd like to take notes for the back half of Genesis in this. What is a scripture journal? A scripture journal has the text on the left-hand page yep. and space for notes on the right-hand page yep. such that you the text and the notes can be sort of married and cross-referenced. And it's really helpful. I went to a conference on the Gospel of Mark. Sure. And used a scripture journal for uh, the, the, the preaching through sure. the book of yep. Mark. And I've gone back to that right notebook sure. and taken a look at what these guys said about the gospel sure. of Mark. So really helpful. It really thrills. Uh, it really thrills the preacher when you're making, especially points about the text. Notice the repetition of this word or this phrase or... Notice how many words are given to talk about this particular situation and how few are talking about. And then you see people put their heads down and mark that. That is absolutely thrilling. I'm not saying everyone needs to do that, but knowing that people are being helped to understand God's word, hopefully by God's grace, uh, that's a delight to see that. And then, as you said, you have that as an ongoing resource for the future. What do you think, uh, just wrapping up here, would be a couple of good resources to point people to if they want to either get caught up on the first 24 chapters of Genesis? Obviously, sure. there's the sermons on YouTube that we yeah. have. And our podcast as well, yeah. And and our podcast. Um, but what would you think, by way of resources, two that I'll mention off the bat Please are do. 
The Gospel in Genesis by Martin Lloyd-Jones takes uh, readers um, in 150 pages through the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and they are just wonderful sermons. Uh, My dad has recommended this book to... Um, non-readers, I believe. Oh, really? Okay, and the okay. person has come back and said that was a meal. Excellent. So that's worthwhile. The other thing, if you're more of a listener and not a reader, go to the Nine Marks website and look up Bible Talk. The The guys who run Bible yeah, Talk did a right. number of podcasts on, on the Genesis. book of Genesis. So check those out. There, uh, if you want something very succinct, uh, we're in our church library recording this. I'm looking at the shelves and I'm seeing the message of the Old Testament by Mark Dever, which are 39 sermons, one sermon each on every book of the Bible. Mm. So you could you could pick that up on and read the chapter on Genesis. The sermon on Genesis would be a help to you. Maybe that piques your interest just to be able to get summaries of the rest of the Old Testament books. But that would be a really good uh, succinct summary as well. And otherwise, I think we'd have to give some thought to other resources. Progressive Covenantalism, if you're looking for a real good dig, uh, deep dig, by uh, uh, Stephen Wellman and Peter Gentry is like this sort of condensed version of Kingdom Through Covenant. Right. And that would give you more than Genesis, but it would give you a good dive on Genesis and would tie things together. Or Sailhammer, um, Pentateuch's narrative. Uh, you, he would get a good synopsis of Genesis reading the first little bit of that. So we can put these resources in the, uh, the show notes. And uh, if you need help getting your hands on some of those, you can let us know. Well, it's my prayer that as we step into the last 25 or so chapters of Genesis that God would use his word in our hearts Amen. and in the lives of the congregation and that his spirit would fall in a really profound way and even bring revival Amen. through the preaching of his word. And we know that the word of God does the work of God and so we'll lean on that and uh, are looking forward to the interactions that we have after sermons Absolutely. and the emails that we'll get and the ways that God will shape our thinking and theology mm-hmm. as we progress in this series to Absolutely. His glory. I've dusted off my Genesis commentaries. You all dust off your Genesis journals and let's get to it. <laughs>